This is In Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of In Focus brings you in-depth analysis and perspective from a different corner of our global network of experts. My name is Barnaby Fletcher. I'm one of the associate directors in our Africa analysis team. And today we are going to be looking at the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on Africa's oil producers. The overall impact has been negative. It is Africa's traditional oil producers, Nigeria, Angola, Algeria, that are expected to see some of the deepest recessions this year. But the pandemic will ease. And then the question becomes, what are the longer term implications of this, both for the oil and gas sector and for the wider economy in oil producing countries? To answer this, I am joined by two members of our West Africa team. Mikowai Judson is based in our regional hub in Lagos, Nigeria, which is obviously Africa's largest oil producer and an economy that has long been dependent on the sector. Welcome, Mikowai. Thanks, Bani. It's a pleasure to be here with you. We also have Ulimata Sumari, based in our office in Dakar, Senegal, and is therefore well positioned to approach this question from a different angle. In contrast to Nigeria, Senegal is a relatively new jurisdiction for the oil and gas sector, much earlier in the project cycle. Welcome, Ulimata. Hi, Barnaby. Thank you for having me on this episode. Perhaps we should start with some brief context. How have these two countries been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic, especially from the fiscal and economic standpoint? Mikawai, let's start with Nigeria. So Nigeria has been heavily hit by the COVID-19 pandemic. The government responded quickly, imposing lockdowns and restrictions, which have been an obstacle to economic activity, though it has lifted a significant number of these restrictions. And when looking at the oil and gas sector specifically, Nigeria's financial dependence on it is no secret. Oil accounts for nearly 84% of total exports and 88% of foreign exchange earnings. So the slump in oil prices has hit government finances hard and has had to rely even further on borrowing to finance its spending. The budget deficit already reached 4.8% of GDP in 2019, significantly above the 3% stipulated by law. And the combination of depressed revenues and increased borrowing looks set to drive a further increase as well as increased debt servicing costs. So concretely, this means that the government is now focused on raising revenue and has become reluctant to spend significant amounts of money. If we take that macro level picture you describe and drill down into what it means for specific companies and projects, what's the picture there at a company level? Well, a lot of projects in Nigeria were already put on hold due to a very difficult operational environment. Back in December 2019, several projects totaling $58.4 billion were put on hold. And operators in the Niger Delta face a very volatile and challenging security environment. They also have to navigate complex relationships with local communities and they face regulatory uncertainty, most notably the Petroleum Industry Bill, which is a flagship reform act that has been mooted for years, still hasn't been passed. So this makes FIDs less likely at the moment and the COVID-19 pandemic has lowered oil prices, which will discourage further investments. Ulimata, if we turn towards Senegal, this is an economy with big plans for its oil and gas sector, a lot of promise. But at the moment, it's still far less reliant on oil production in terms of the government's finances or the overall economy. 
Has this allowed it to avoid the same shock that Mikawai describes for Nigeria? Yes, it has. Senegal is expected to weather the crisis better than several countries due to its more diversified economy. Senegal is a newcomer in the oil and gas industry and has been able to avoid a big shock simply because it's still in the early stages of its life cycle as an oil and gas producer. The government's budget for 2020 is not dependent on any oil and gas revenues. However, the GDP growth projections have already been revised downwards from 6% to 1.1% for 2020. The declining levels of trade have impacted government revenues and tourism has come to a standstill. With rising expenditures due to the COVID-19 health response, the fiscal deficit is projected to increase from 3.2% of the GDP to 5.6% this year. The government has on the side benefited from regional support as the West African Central Bank and the IMF have been providing grants and new fiscal policy. We expect that Senegal will be able to cushion the economic impact of this virus. So what does this mean for the future of the industry? Is this derailing Senegal's plans and putting Nigeria's sector into terminal decline? Or are there any new projects? Are there opportunities for investors despite the the fairly bleak picture overall? The regulatory environment in Senegal will remain investor-friendly. However, both national and international stakeholders will have to prepare for potential setbacks. On the government side, what this means is that in the next four to three years, there could be more budget constraints as revenue projections were based on oil and gas revenues. For oil and gas majors, the situation has unfortunately resulted in some operational delays. This is the case for the country's first liquefied natural gas project. Production was scheduled for 2022, but it has been pushed back by a year. When it comes to new projects, Senegal is currently promoting an oil and gas licensing round for 10 new blocks. But given the current global crisis, the government has decided to extend the deadline due for 31st July by two months until 30th September. For oil majors and other investors, this will be the best opportunity to enter the ring in Senegal. Moreover, in June, there is a rare opportunity that presented itself as one of the joint partners on the country's first oil project defaulted on payments. As a result, the partner is looking to sell 15% of its stakes in the Sangoma oil field. As a reminder, this oil field has reached final investment decision in January and it has yet to announce any delays and production will be scheduled for 2024. If we look at Nigeria, oil and gas operators will continue to face uncertainty. This isn't really the time that they're looking to make significant new investments. I've already mentioned some of the issues around the challenging operational environment and regulatory uncertainty and how these issues have been compounded by the COVID-19 pandemic. And all of this means that further delays to projects are likely. And they're now also calling into question whether some of these projects are even commercially viable. For example, the Bonga Southwest project, which is projected to produce around 140,000 barrels a day, has a break-even oil price of $60 per barrel. And this is higher than Nigeria's budget benchmark was even at before the COVID-19 pandemic and the drop in oil prices. If we look at licensing rounds in Nigeria specifically, the government has announced that there won't be any major field bid rounds until after the oil prices rebound. But what it has done instead is turn towards domestic capacity and marginal fields. These marginal fields are smaller oil fields that haven't produced in the last 10 years, usually because they're either too difficult or 
the reserves were too small for the majors to really invest in these fields. So the government has reserved them for domestic operators with the goal of developing domestic capacity, particularly in the upstream sector and exploration and production. But the marginal field bid round, which was launched in June, is fraught with regulatory and integrity issues. I've talked a little bit about the PIB issues already, but also the fact that President Buhari, as Minister for Petroleum Resources, has quite broad discretionary power to award oil blocks, which is something that civil society organizations have criticized. It's also worth pointing out that most of the fields awarded during the last round in 2003 never reached commercial production. So there are opportunities for investors particularly as partners in the marginal field bid round, but they will be facing a very challenging environment if they choose to work on this marginal field bid round. So in both of your answers, you mentioned regulatory uncertainty and thinking about the the management of the oil sector going forward and governance of the sector. Do we see any specific new trends emerging or lasting changes that new investors or, or even existing investors should be aware of? In Nigeria, one of the topics that the government has really stressed is local content. And it's mentioned this quite clearly in the Nigeria Economic Sustainability Plan. And at the moment, there are two bills designed to promote local content that are making their way through the Senate and the House of Representatives. And we expect that this rhetoric will continue. Minister of State for Petroleum Resources, Timipre Silva, in June spoke about how the goal was to achieve 70% local content in the sector by 2027. And this push ranges from the upstream sector, for example, the, the marginal field round, to the downstream sector where the government has stressed the importance of developing and increasing domestic refining capacity. Nevertheless, the government's unlikely to push so hard on local content so as to really jeopardize any existing investment projects or any efforts to attract foreign investment, which will remain its overall priority. In Senegal, the government adopted a local content bill last year. And with the pandemic, unfortunately, most of the government's attention has been focused to the response. And we are still awaiting the implementation decree that was due to be published earlier this year. But we can sense that the government will be focusing on the time frame of projects. The government is looking for reputable oil and gas majors. And for this licensing round, it will be important for candidates to show their strength in the working program and in their ability to identify new reserves, as the government is keen to showcase achievements of the oil and gas industry before the next election cycle. We also believe that for this licensing round, local content will be a key assessment criteria and candidates will have to show how they'll be able to work with local partners, such as the National Institute for Oil and Gas Industries, in order to train engineers for the sector and improve the capacity for various local stakeholders. If we take a step back from the oil sector for a moment, a long-standing subject of discussion in many single commodity reliant economies has been the need for diversification. So we've seen this in Angola, we've seen this in more mining dependent economies such as Zambia. Mikawai, is the same conversation going on in Nigeria? And if so, will the impact of COVID-19 and the challenges that has come with it prompt the government to turn rhetoric into action with regards to diversification of the economy? So the COVID-19 pandemic and the drop in oil prices has really highlighted Nigeria's persistent need to reduce its dependence on oil. And the government has actually taken some steps towards this. The NESP, which I mentioned earlier, has ambitious infrastructure development targets. 
And there have been recent reforms to the mining sector, which are designed to formalize it and bring in more revenue. Tech is also another very high profile area that the government is looking to work more on. But an interesting sector, which I'd like to talk a little bit more about is gas. And the, the managing director of Nigeria Liquefied Natural Gas has actually referred to Nigeria as a gas country with some oil. But operators have historically preferred to flare gas instead of developing it commercially. And so the government has put in place some recent reforms to make gas development more commercially viable. But uncertainty around the wider regulatory framework will continue to defer significant investment in the sector or the infrastructure that's necessary to develop it. So these revenue constraints that the governments are facing are are unlikely to spur genuine diversification. These reforms are likely to progress slowly and the government's reluctant to spend significantly. So it's going to remain focused on revenue generation and projects that will create jobs, will generate revenue in the form of foreign direct investment, increased tax revenue or foreign exchange. And Uri Mata, from Senegal's perspective, have the difficulties experienced by Nigeria during this pandemic and other countries as well, other oil producers, prompted a bit of caution or concern that its focus on developing its oil sector could make it similarly vulnerable to external shocks? Yes, I think that the experience of other West African oil producers has definitely shaped Senegal's entry into the oil and gas industry. While the government is committed to offshore projects, it's also developing more renewable energy projects onshore. The need for diversification is clear and oil and gas is being used as a starting block for energy transformation envisioned by this administration. In February 2020, Senegal inaugurated one of the largest wind farms in West Africa. The Taibandiai project has 46 wind turbines in total and it will produce 150 megawatts of energy. Prior to the pandemic, Senegal had really embraced the idea of clean energy and a diversified economy has shown its benefits in the last four months. However, as the response of COVID-19 absorbs more government revenues, um, it's already been announced that development projects will be reassessed and the timeline of certain energy projects might be delayed. And I think the diversification efforts could be relegated to the background. So we have focused on Senegal and Nigeria, but perhaps for our final question, we could take a look at the wider region. These are not the only two countries with oil industries or oil potential in West Africa, and there are projects ongoing in Togo, Cote d'Ivoire, Ghana, etc. Are the trends we have spoken about today replicated across the region? Absolutely. I think a lot of the issues that we've raised here apply to other countries as well, though obviously each one has its own unique local context. At the moment, a lot of companies have less money, meaning that projects have been delayed. Now isn't the time that firms are looking to new projects and significant spending, meaning that plans are likely to stay on hold. But there are potentially still opportunities out there, particularly with countries keen to attract investment. So what's key to watch is where the country is in its oil and gas life cycle. If it's too early, exploration and production might have been delayed, perhaps indefinitely. Though for countries that are in the right stage of their life cycle, operators can potentially get quite attractive concessions. I completely agree with my colleague, and I believe that for many West African countries, particularly those neighboring Senegal and Mauritania, this pandemic will halt exploration plans, perhaps delaying them indefinitely. Oil majors will be making more strategic investments, expanding their portfolios, 
with projects that are further along with the exploration plans. And it's unfortunate because the recent discoveries made between Senegal and Mauritania had created a lot of excitement for the oil and gas industry in West Africa. And we have sort of seen this trend already happening in Gambia, where unfortunately plans to drill an exploration well offshore were cancelled in March 2020. Thank you both very much for sharing your expertise today. I know you'll both be continuing to help clients in the sector and helping them understand its changing dynamics well beyond this current disruption caused by COVID-19. Thank you so much for having us, Barney. Thank you so much for having us. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of In Focus, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen. And be sure to subscribe to our other podcasts as well, such as The Global Insight, our fortnightly panel discussion exploring the impact of the most pressing issues on global business. All of our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we are helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com.